you probably need to have that keep that plugged in because it it may not last. Okay, well, we'll yeah, you have to. I know that's fine because uh, it, it there's not enough battery there to last. It has to it has to be at least sixty percent. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. If you would open your your Bibles to Luke chapter one, we get started here. Luke chapter one. But that's what I want to talk to you about about Pentecost. And in order to do that, we're going to kind of set the stage here. Luke 1. And we're going to look back at uh, uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, all right, in the beginning. It says in Luke 1, verse 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in, in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with you, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Thou called his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, Also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and in the sixth month with her was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto you, be it unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, when we look here, you know, we see a lot of things happening here. The angel saying that she's highly favored of the Lord. And she says um, her response to this about uh, giving birth to the Christ, uh, she said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In this, you have to understand something. Mary is approximately somewhere around the age of 15 when this happens. She may even be younger. She may be... 13 or, or, you know, somewhere around there when this happens. But a little bit of background in, in the story, the life of Mary, is that her father was a scribe, all right? Wrote the Bible, wrote scripture. So she was taught scripture from the, the very early age of a child. She was raised up knowing how God operates. And, you know, when the angel appears and says, you've found favor with God, it wasn't that something that just happened at a moment's notice. This woman had, from the young age of a child, she had trained herself to, to follow God and be obedient to his word and do what his word said. That's why when God sent Gabriel to come to Mary and said, you are go- you're going to be with child that she had found favor with God. She had found favor because God knew that she would do what 
the angel said, because she had already practiced this in following it by the word. And she says, be it done unto your handmaid, as you said. Well, handmaid, what that means is, that word means she's a servant. She's a servant of the Most High. And in other words, she had made it her lifestyle that whatever the word said, whatever God told her, she was going to do it. There was no questions. There was no, well, how or what. No, no. She did it. So that when the angel came and said, you know, you're, you're going to be with child and, and your, your cousin is going to give birth to, this chi to, to a, a, a child too. She said, be it done unto me according to your word. So we see that favor is found by obedience and by dedication to the Word of God. So let's fast forward here to um, Pentecost. Because what does this have to do with... It has a lot to do with Pentecost. Because we see this same attitude actually comes back in this time. So if we would, look, go, go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And I want to kind of set the tone here for for Pentecost and what happens and how this comes about and want you to see, the Lord wants you to see this and understand uh, Pentecost and the importance of it and uh, why this is needed in the church today and why the, the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is so important to be taught correctly to people and understand that you, you, you don't need the baptism of the Holy Ghost to go to heaven. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost to survive here on this earth. Amen. That's what you need it for. So what gets you to heaven is, is, is receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then giving your life to him. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost is something of power. You know, it's not something weird. I like what Brother Hagin said. You know, he said, when you're driving down a road, there's a ditch on both sides. There's a ditch on the right and ditch on the left. Don't get over in the ditches. Stay in the middle. And what's happened is a lot of the church, they've gotten over in ditches. They're not, they think they're being spiritual. They're just being weird. I mean, it's just weird. And, you know, then you get to the other side. Well, we don't believe in any of that stuff. Well, you get over in the ditch over there. Get in the middle of the road. Stay in the middle of the road. So hopefully this is going to give you some revelation and understanding, but you have to understand something, that when Jesus ascended, he told, he told the disciples to go into Jerusalem and to wait, to tarry, all right, till they be endued with power from above. Now, they go to what's called the upper room, all right? The upper room, which uh, my wife and I, we've been there, um, <clears throat> it was remodeled in around the 1400s. So it's kind of been brought somewhat up to date, if you call 1400s up to date. It, you know, uh, it's, I'd say it's about four, four times the size of this room, maybe a little bit, maybe six times in the upper room. But to give you an idea, the upper room, what it was, was actually a home. And it was the home of this woman called Mary, not Mary, Jesus' mother, another Mary. Her brother was, uh, 
was Barabbas. Uh, I'm sorry, Barnabas, <laughs> not Barabbas. <laughs> Her brother was Barnabas. Her son was John Mark. All right? Yes, the Mark of the Bible that wrote uh, the, one of the four Gospels. But he was, Mark was writing it, and it was being interpreted to him from, from Peter, who was receiving it from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So Mary had this home, and you have to understand it back in that day, a lot of people, and she was, she was apparently very wealthy, a, a wealthy woman. Um, her husband, something had happened there. We don't know that much about her husband. He was deceased or what, whatever, but it was her place. And she offered this room. Her, she actually offered her home. It wasn't just a room. It was where they lived because back in that day, the lower floors was where people conducted their business. All right, people would come in, and if they, you know, what if they were selling, they would buy and sell down there, and you know, you had people from the streets coming in, and typically was was a pretty dirty place because of just everything going on. But the upper rooms, the upper stories in, in people's homes in that day, that was their living quarters. That's where they lived. So Mary had all opened up her home to Jesus and the disciples and said, you can come here, and um, you can relax here, and you can teach here. There's over 260 verses in the Bible, in the New Testament, that take place in the upper room. Most of John, if you look back and you read John, uh, say from uh, uh, chapters 13, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 20, it all took place in the upper room. So when Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait, when he ascended, he was telling them, go, go back into the room and wait there till you be endued with power from above. They went there and they waited. Let's look here. Did I tell you what verse here? Verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, then they returned. They they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is where Jesus ascended, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zealots, and the Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. So notice what happens here. All the disciples are there. All right. Mary is there. And it says his brother, Jesus' brothers are there. Okay. So yeah, yeah. You know, Catholics, Catholics a lot of times get a kick out of this because they find that, that Mary was Pentecostal because she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She spoke in tongues. It wasn't just the disciples. Mary's there in the upper room with her other sons, who, which are Jesus' half-brothers because she had these sons with Joseph. Only Jesus was was from the Father. 
So they're gathered in this place, this upper room, where they spend time. It says in those days, verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. So there's about 120 people in this upper room. Yeah. There's 120 people in this upper room. Now, if you look on, you go a little bit further down into, in, into this book here. Um, let's drop down into verse 22. It says, Beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and, they lot, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, so Judas Iscariot has killed himself. They need to replace the, a disciple or an apostle. They need, they need one. So what do they do? Now, I want you to remember something. They're not filled with the Holy Ghost at this time. They draw straws. Yeah, they gamble. And, and it comes up Matthias. You, know, you don't really read too much about Matthias after this. Right? You don't see too much of him in the rest of the Bible. Why? Is it, is it possible? I'm not saying it was. Is it possible that God didn't choose him? They were, they, that was all flesh. But see, they went ahead and did it. They went ahead and did it. They could have waited for, for a little while, but they didn't. They needed a replacement, so they did they what? They gambled. And they got someone that they thought, you know, they said, well, God, we're asking you to choose. And they drew lots, and it came up Matthias. But then we don't really read anything about him. Why? I believe because they, they, they went too soon. They jumped too soon. So what happens here is uh, we see the importance of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you know, a lot of questions are people would ask this question, well, why did they draw lots back then? Well, it's real simple. Remember, they're not filled with the Holy Ghost yet. They haven't received the baptism. All right, but let's, let's go back here a little bit. Let's look at a few scriptures here. Um, let's look at John chapter 13. You know, I said a lot of these things happened in, in the upper room, and it did. In John 13, we see uh, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, and the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and there he was come from God, and he went to God. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, 
to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Okay, where did this take place at? It took place in the upper room. What this woman Mary did by opening her home to Jesus is he came in and moved mightily in her home. See, the, this is an example in every one of us. If we'll open our lives up to him, he'll come in and he'll do mighty things. So we see that he washed the disciples' feet in there. Let's go, let's go a little bit further in. Um, John 14, let's look here. He says in, in 14.6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. Father but by my me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And henceforth you know him and have seen him. In the, he says this in the upper room. Um, let's, let's look at another one here. I just want to look at a couple of uh, things here. Jesus says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. Chapter 15, verse 7. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Let's look at another one here. Chapter 16. Jesus is speaking in verse 12. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, Jesus is speaking prophetically here to them in the upper room. He says, I've got many things to say to you, but I can't tell you now because you can't bear them. What's he telling? He's, he's talking about a future event where... Uh, the disciples and, and mainly Paul is going to reveal heaven to the, to, to the, the disciples. All right? Verse 13, he says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall, he shall hear, that will he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it or reveal it unto you. So he's saying the Holy Spirit won't speak of himself. He won't, the Holy Spirit's not going to say what he wants to do. He's going to say to you what the Father wants to do. And he's going to lead you and me into all truth. Now, you start to see that you know, these people are hearing this and Jesus is speaking this to them and giving this revelation and at the same time they're thinking, but how? How is this going to happen? How, how is this going to happen? Well, he's, he's teaching them. He's walking them through saying, the Spirit, when He comes, when He comes, He will lead you and guide you into all truth and He'll show you things to come. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit will show you things to come if you learn to listen to Him. If you 
if you give your life to him, you'll know, you'll know what's going to happen. That's why a lot of times what will happen as believers uh, in the Lord Jesus that really have a hunger for him, you see things happening. The world calls it premonition. It's a witness of the Spirit. The Spirit of God witnesses to you that something good or something bad is going to happen so that you can go warn somebody. You can't make him do something. You can't tell him that, you know, something bad's going to happen. You can warn them and see the Holy Spirit because they're not listening to him. But because you spend time with the Lord and you have a an understanding about this, and we'll, talk, we'll, we'll see this in the scripture here in just a minute, he'll lead you and guide you into all truth to have to do what? Not only help you, but help other people. All right? Then look here in, verse, in chapter 17. He says this, For I have given unto them the words, he's saying this to the Father, which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you did send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are yours. Now that's a, that's a different statement. Jesus said, I don't pray for the world. I pray for those that you gave me. Uh-oh. So there are people that God's giving him. Why? Because God already knows the ones that don't want anything to do with him. He knows who they are. Now they still have the opportunity to, to change their hearts. And that's what Jesus was saying. I pray for those that you've given me. For they are thine. Let's go on here. Let's look at another one here. Um, John chapter 20. Now, this is, here, here's one here that gives you some understanding of what's happened. Jesus has been crucified. All right? He's raised from the dead. And uh, we'll pick it up here in verse 19. It says, Then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews... So the disciples are, are assembled where at? In the upper room. Why are the doors shut? Because they're afraid of what the Jews and the Romans might do because they know that they're Christians. And they are really concerned about the message that Jesus was teaching spreading. And they were, they were concerned about being persecuted. So the doors are closed. For fear of the Jews came, and Jesus stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now the doors are closed. How did Jesus get in the upper room? He walked right through the doors. He walked right through the walls. Because he's in a supernatural body. All right? He walks right through. He said, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me. Even so, I send you. Now, Here's something that happens now. Who's in the room? The disciples are. Right? The disciples are there. And he said, verse 22, And when he had said this, 
he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What just happened there? They just got born again. They just got born again. Because later on he tells them now go into Jerusalem. We just read that in, in Acts. Remember he said now go into Jerusalem and wait there till you be endued with power from above. Two separate events. One is their salvation. They received they received salvation. The other is the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them to be witnesses. Now, verse 23, he says this, to continue, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. What's that mean? Now, notice this is a warning, because this is his disciples. All right? This is not somebody that they, they, they come to church once a month. These are people that are with him. They're all in this thing. They're, they're, not, they're not going away because remember, he's already had this discussion with, with people and said, you know, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. And it said many of them turned and walked away that day and they didn't walk with him anymore. And then he says to the disciples, what are you going to do? And they said, Master, where are we going to go? You have truth. Ain't nobody around you has, has what you got. We're sticking with you. We may not understand everything, but we're staying here. We're in this for the long haul. This is not what we're looking for something better to come along. We're in this all the way. So he says to his disciples, Whosoever sins you admit, they admit it unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. He says specifically to the disciples, Whosoever sins that you teach are forgiven, they're, they're, they're forgiven. But whoever sins that you don't tell them, and you tell them that they retain them, they're yours. Jesus said it this way, with the same measure that you judge somebody else, you shall be judged. Same measure. This is pretty strong words. So he's not talking to somebody that's a part-time Christian. That, uh, that If they can get to church, they do. He ain't talking to these people. He's talking to die-hard believers. They're giving their lives. And really, when you look at the church of this day, that's what's going on here. These are people that are giving all of themselves to the Lord. So then he says, now go into Jerusalem and wait till you be endued with power from above. Now let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter 1, Acts 1. Oh, I'm sorry, go to Acts 2. If you're in Acts 1, you're in Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place.
And that word, uh, one accord, doesn't really appear in the original script. But it means that they were all together. They were all together. And they were, they were interceding. They were praying. They were interceding, all right, for this time frame. They, they, when they went there, they, they waited. So he said, wait until you be endued, or tarry till you be endued with power on love. That doesn't mean they went there and they got out their cell phones and they said, well, we'll just wait here. What's, what's Herod doing, guys? Does anybody have him on Facebook? No, they, that didn't happen. They were, they were entered in prayer. They were praying. They were interceding in prayer this whole time. Up until the day of Pentecost when it came. And this word prayer, it actually means, this word prayer means <clears throat> to make a sacrifice. See, let's understand, the pagan gods, the people knew that when they prayed, they had to make a sacrifice to these gods. A sacrifice was expected. But see, Jesus had already been the sacrifice. But what they were doing was, they were announcing to God, they were saying, we are sacrificing our lives to you. We give them over to you. And Paul said it, I think, in 1 Corinthians, um, I think it's chapter 9, or chapter 6, 19, through 19 and 20 verse. He said, don't you know that your bodies are not, are not yours? They're the temple of the living God? He was reminding the church at Corinth, you're not your own anymore. You have been bought and paid for with a price. So these, these believers at, in, this, in, in, in the book of Acts, they were making a sacrifice. They were saying, God, we are giving unto you our lives. And this is what we were asking for you to give unto us. That's what they were declaring. That's what, that's what they were together in one place declaring unto God. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, look here, was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now I want to talk about this a little bit because when this when the day of Pentecost came, it said it came in as a sound of a mighty rushing wind. You ever been in a windstorm? You ever been out in a windstorm when it's so windy or a hurricane? I've never been in a hurricane, but I've been in places where the, the, it was so windy you couldn't even hear other than... See, and, no, it's not what he did here. It's not what he did here. He came in with a mighty rushing wind. It was loud. I mean, they're, they're sitting here experiencing the Holy Spirit come in in a violent wind. That's what that word means. It's a violent wind that came. It says, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It had filled every nook and cranny. You know, we were over there in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, 
in the upper room. They were praying for people to get filled with the Holy Ghost and they were getting filled. They were getting filled. In Mary's house. Because Mary opened her, 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 her home to the Lord. She said, come, it's yours. Do with it as you want. And because she did that, her very son wrote one of the books in the Bible, John Mark. Yeah, he wrote through interpretation from Peter, who gave it from the Holy Spirit. But he still wrote it because guess who's there? As a, as a young child, when all this stuff is being preached, when Jesus is teaching, little John Mark. Little John Mark. Little John Mark sitting there as a child in the upper room, hearing Jesus preach. How young he is, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's 10 years old or 14 or 15. He's a young boy. He's a young man at that point. It says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now we also see that in, in the book of Genesis, where God, when he comes in, he, it's a, it describes him as coming in as a burning furnace. As a burning furnace. So when the day of Pentecost came, not only was this a, a loud noise that came in, but the, the, the God's presence, and, and everybody knew that fire represented the very presence of the living God. So it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. There appeared unto, I'll run it back up in verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. What is that? Thank you, Lord. Do you know the word glory means abode? It means heaviness. It means weighty. And it says that cloven tongues of fire came and it sat upon each of them. They felt the glory of God. He, it was a heaviness. It was a tangible weight that they felt the very presence of God sitting on them. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This word began. It means... God gave them the ability to speak in tongues. Now, they had to speak. He didn't come upon them and make them speak. He just gave them the ability to speak with other tongues. And it says they began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance, how did they speak? It, it sounded just like it does today in, in different sounds. It may not be a language that you recognize. It could be, it couldn't, it may not be. That doesn't mean it's not the Spirit of God. It just means 
That's the power of the Holy Spirit when we pray. When we take time to pray in the Spirit, all right, the Spirit, it says in Romans, He helps with our infirmities, our shortcomings, our sicknesses, our illnesses. He helps with that when we spend time to pray. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. But see, if we just go about our business doing our things, what we do, where's the guidance of the Holy Spirit? We've, we've set Him aside, and now we're drawing straws, just like the, they were in Acts. And you wind up with a Matthias. It says, as the Spirit gave them utterance, and they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. It says, now when this noise was abroad, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? They're from the same area. And how then do we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. What happened? As they came out and they were speaking, something supernatural takes place. What sounded to them, the one speaking, they didn't understand. God miraculously took that voice and changed the sound of it supernaturally so that others around all of a sudden heard them in their languages. That doesn't necessarily mean they were speaking their language. They were giving utterance to the sound. God then moved upon the sound and, and changed the sound so each one heard them in their own native tongue. That's why they said, aren't these all Galileans? They don't know all these languages. They're not educated people. How is it that I'm able to hear them in my own native tongue? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you yield to, to the Spirit of God, and that's what had happened with this, with this city, with these people, they had fully yielded. Let's go on here. It says in verse 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What does this mean? Others mocking this said, These men are full of wine. They're drunk. But Peter, standing up and, and, and the, uh, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you men that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose. Seeing it but the third hour of the day. It's early in the morning. The bars are already opened. But this is which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men 
shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and, and, and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. All because they were spending time in prayer. And this, you know, this prayer that they were, it was a sacrifice to God. Their prayers were a sacrifice. They were saying, Lord, we give our lives to you. We give our whole lives. We don't give just part of them. We give them all to you. And because we give our lives to you, we want you to give this to us, what you have. The promise of the Father. That's what Jesus said, go and wait till you receive the promise of the Father. Give us everything you have. And it says that they went out and they proclaimed the gospel with boldness. And, in, and John Mark said in John Mark 16, verse 20, and God working with them did signs and wonders. Why? Because he had sacrificed. Uh, Lord, help me. Where is that scripture at? Uh, it's four. Yeah. Now look, you go to ch chapter four. In chapter four, it says this, verse one. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of this temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse thirteen. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled that they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. So they noticed that, they noticed that, that Peter and John were unlearned. They weren't educated men. They didn't go, they didn't go to Bible school. But the, the Sadducees, they noticed that, this, that these men had spent time with Jesus they could, because they were acting just like him. They were sounding just like him. They felt the presence of Jesus there. They, and these were people that weren't believers. Why? Because they spent their time with the Lord. They spent their time focusing on God. They had made a sacrifice. Look here at, at verse 31. It says, And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, the upper room. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Here it is again. They're praying again. They're all being refilled with the Holy Ghost. You fill your tanks up with gas, right? You don't go out and just keep driving your car and never go to another gas station. You get refilled. 
That's what they were doing. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. A lot of pastors and a lot of, I've heard people talk about this that while well, they were they had all things in common. Meaning what was mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Sounds like communism. No, it wasn't communism. They did it freely. See, this is something you can't teach people to do. It has to be in the heart. But they had spent so much time with God. They had spent so much time in prayer and seeing God move in their lives and in their surroundings. They just continued daily. It was a daily thing. It didn't just happen on, on Sundays. And they got to the point where they didn't care about stuff anymore. See, when, when you don't care about stuff anymore, you, they had got to the point where it didn't matter what, what they had. It was, it was to other people too. It didn't mean nothing to them. But we hold on to things of great importance to us because, oh, you can't have mine. All that means is you've got to grow. You've got to grow. Again, this is not about putting you in condemnation. It's about showing you how the early church grew and they saw mighty signs and wonders. They saw God moving. When they prayed, it said the whole place was shaken. When's the last time you prayed and your home shook? It's supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen. Pray because we got the same spirit in us. It's not a different one. It's the same spirit that baptized them with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in other tongues that dwells in you and me. So when we pray, what should happen is things should be shaken. Again, don't get in condemnation over this, but learn from it. Say, you know, it, it should say, okay, the reason why things aren't shaking is not because of somebody else, it's because of me. These people, the disciples, and the people that, were, that God was adding to the church when they came together, they were giving a sacrifice. They were saying, okay, my body's not mine anymore. My life's not mine anymore. It's yours, Jesus. My feelings aren't my feelings anymore. I mean, come on. We got people staying away from church because somebody made them mad. How fleshly is that? And you want to see the power of God move in your, in your home? It's not going to happen until you, you get beyond that. And I get beyond that. When we come to, to Jesus, when we come to the Lord 
and we are making a sacrifice. It's really, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an arrangement that I, we understand that, Lord, we're giving ourselves to you. And we know, we know what your will is for our lives. See, this is a little bit different than, than here in the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, Paul hadn't taught them yet. He was coming. But see, they're, they're speaking from a point, they just got born again. And, and they really, before the, the, the baptism come, they didn't have the Spirit of God in them. The power of God in them. They were born again. They were new creations. But they didn't understand all these things. So as the, the Spirit of God then indwelled in them, they started experiencing things. And they started, they started turning away from things in the world. But we still got people in churches that they get mad because somebody took their parking spot. Pastor said something that made me mad. I remember one woman one time in, in, in a church she was going to with a, a, a man of God preached there years ago and, and, and she had told me she, was, she had been going to that church and she stopped going. I said, well, why did you stop? She said, because Every time he preached, I felt like he was talking about me. And I was like, well, see, I didn't know what I know now, but I was like, well, do you think maybe that was the Spirit of God speaking to you? See, that's why a lot of times, I, I, would, I would prefer that if you have something going on in your life that you need prayer for, before you just come and run in and say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me today, just sit down in church and let's just let the, give the Holy Spirit a chance to deal with it. Maybe something will come up during the service and the Spirit of God will say something to me and I'll say something that gives you revelation about what's going on. Now you know you heard from God. But see, if you come to me beforehand and say, I need prayer over this, or oh, I'll pray with it, I'll, I'll be in agreement, but see, it's going to really limit how God speaks to you because you're going to say, well, he already knew that beforehand. Does that make sense? But if we learn to trust the Lord, just trust God. Trust Him. He'll reveal things to you. All right? Again, he, they began to speak with other tongues. And they went around. And they prayed for people. People started speaking in other tongues. And it changed their life. See, when, when, you know, Paul said this way. He said, when I pray, I'll pray with understanding, but I'll also pray in the Spirit. See, you can pray in the natural with understanding, but you can also pray in the Spirit, and God will reveal things to you. Maybe not that second, but within a short period of time, you'll have the answer. What is it? It's the power of the Spirit of God working. All right. Did you get something today? Okay, let's stand up. Now, if anybody in here, you have not... You, listen to me. You have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, and you would like that. God's not going to force it on you. Okay? You would like that. All right, come forward, and I'll lay my hands on you, and God will, he'll do that for you.
he'll 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 make it so that you can speak in in in, in you can pray in tongues. You need it today. You need it. Or maybe maybe it's been a years since you've prayed in the spirit. Or somebody prayed for you. And you've never you 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 don't use that gift. And you feel like well I'm not sure it's. Let's settle that today. Let's settle that today. Don't don't leave here without. Because you, you need to be able to spend time at home where you are praying in the Spirit over things. It's so important. He helps with your infirmities. He helps with things that you need help with. Not just sickness, but for clarity. Not just sickness, but clarity. Hallelujah. Is there anybody here today you need that? Come on forward. Again, I'm not going to make you don't have to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost to go to heaven. You need it to live here on earth, and you'll need you'll need it to fight the devil. You're going to get wore out without the baptism of the Holy Ghost when the devil comes against you because you're going to you're going to make some silly silly mistakes because you're you're going to listen to your flesh. But see, when you get infilled with the Holy Spirit. Now you've got power, because great, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And see, if you think these things are foolishness, you've you got a problem. They're not foolishness. You're, you're relying on your understanding. Don't rely on Give it to Jesus. Let him do it for you. All right? We're okay then? All right. No, no, there's no excuse, you know, down the road or anything. If something happens, you know, one of the things I, I, I always ask people, I say, do you spend time praying in the Spirit? And inevitably they'll say, well, yeah. When's the last time you prayed? Well, I don't know. Been that long ago? You should pray in the Spirit every day. And more than once. You can pray more than once a day. Spend time praying in the Spirit. A lot of the things that you're questioning, a lot of the, the, the helps that you need, the Spirit of God wants to answer those to you. It says in the Word, those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. You're not going to be led by the Spirit if you're not praying in the Spirit. You're just out here doing stuff on your own and you're thinking it's God's in it and he's like, man, I didn't tell you to do that. When did you pray and ask me? Well, but it's, it's Christian, you know. It's, it's biblical. Yeah, but I didn't tell you to do that. And you wonder why there's problems in your life. Spend time in prayer. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Things will be shaken. Things will be shaken. We're shaking this city. We're shaking this city. We're shaking the people in this city. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, Father, we thank you, Father, for Pentecost Sunday. We thank you for the revelation that you've given us here today. We thank you for signs and wonders following us everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, I call these people blessed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.